right. Well, our second presentation for tonight is entitled Revelation's Sign of Allegiance. And uh, we want to be loyal to Christ. Amen? Amen. So we want to know what that sign is. And uh, so let's bow our heads and we'll dig into God's word here this evening. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for your holy word. We pray that once again, as we open up its pages, that you would be here with us, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would draw us close to you, and that we would truly understand, Lord, what your sign of allegiance is in these last days, is our humble prayer. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 1831, a ship called the HMS Beagle set sail. It sailed from Great Britain to the Galapagos Islands, about 500 miles west of the country of Ecuador. On board was a young scientist by the name of Charles Darwin. Anybody ever heard of him? Sure we have. And on this epic journey that Darwin was on, he studied many of the different animals that were there on the Galapagos Islands. He was very intrigued by some of the different variations that he saw in the different uh, animals, even of the same species. And this led Darwin to promote a rather different view of origins. As a result of his studies, Darwin came to believe that humans evolved from lower life forms over the process of millions of years. In his mind, there was no place for an all-powerful creator God. Now, Darwin wasn't the first to propose the idea of evolution. However, he was the one that popularized it and is often given credit for it. And now... The result is, is that we live in a world where evolution is taught as if it is almost 100% fact. Back when I lived in Fresno, California, I was there for a year and I enrolled at the local community college and I, took a, uh, I enrolled in a class on, in biology. And on the very first day of class, my professor was there and he was starting to lecture and he said that in order for me to really understand biology, that I must believe in the theory of evolution, that that's the only way that I can understand biology truly. But friends, if you understand and if you follow evolution to its logical conclusion, there's no real purpose to life if you go down that road, because it's all about survival of the fittest. And as a society, friends, we have drifted away from the concept of God being the creator God. And believe it or not, even some even some churches are now teaching that evolution is compatible with Bible teaching. Some churches even believe that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are just made up fiction. It's absolutely terrible, friends. It's very sad to see people, even Christians, go down this road of skepticism and unbelief. And although skeptics may doubt God's word, we have shown over the course of our meetings that this book can be trusted. Amen? The prophecies of God's word are true, and it gives us confidence that the rest of God's word is true and inspired, friends. And friends, I believe with all my heart that God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And friends, I would rather believe what God has to say about the origin of life than what any man has to say about it. Amen? Amen. So is evolution really how humanity came into existence? Absolutely not. What does the Bible really teach on this? Well, the Bible begins in Genesis 1-1 saying, In the beginning, God did what? He created the heavens and the earth. Now, friends, the Bible doesn't waste any time on this issue. It doesn't beat around the bush. It plainly says God is the creator of this world. Psalm 33, verse 6 and 9 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, 
and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So friends, God spoke, and things came into existence. God, God's word has creative power. And to just give you a comparison, if, I were to, if this room was completely dark and I said, let there be light, what would happen? Nothing, right? Nothing would happen unless I were to run back there by Jeremy and I would turn on the light switch. That's the only way anything, that's the only way light would happen. But with God, God's word has creative power. He says something and it happens. It comes to pass because his word has created power. John chapter 1 verse 1 affirms this saying, In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Later in in verse 14 of the same chapter, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friends, that word is Jesus Christ. And all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made, the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul states that God created all things through who? Jesus Christ. So Paul affirms that Christ created all things. But friends, it's no surprise to me and it's no surprise to God that in these last days that Satan would try to make people forget that God is their creator. It's no surprise that Satan would want people to believe that they evolved from monkeys rather than being made in the image of God. Why would he do that, friends? Well, it's because Satan knows that God is the creator God and that worship and praise and glory belong only to him. We saw last weekend that Satan wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted the worship that was due to God alone. And when you get down to the book of Revelation, you see that who you worship is a very big deal. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it has over 24 occurrences of the word worship. Now, that's almost one-third of all the times, all occurrences in the New Testament. So worship is a very big deal here in the book of Revelation. Revelation 4.11 tells us why God is worthy to be worshipped. It says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created how many things? All things, and by your will they exist and were created. Friends, we worship God because he is our creator. For he created all things and by his will they exist. But later in Revelation 13, we see that God shows John that there would be an end time spiritual battle over the issue of worship. Revelation 13, 4 says, so they worshiped who? The dragon. dragon. Who are they supposed to worship? God. God, the creator God, the one who made heaven and earth. So, but here in the last days, Revelation 13, 4, they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped who? The beast. the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who is able to make war with him? And in verse 8, it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names are, have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Friends, do you want your name written in the book of life? Amen. I want my name written in the book of life. And that means we don't want to worship this beast power. Amen. We don't want to worship the dragon in these last days. But here John says that in the last days, there will be a lot of people who are worshiping the dragon and this beast power instead of worshiping the creator God. 
But praise God, friends, that there is a warning message given in Revelation chapter 14. It contains a last day call for all people to worship the creator God. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. It's been a familiar passage for us thus far in our series. But it says in Revelation 14, 6 and 7, it says, Then I, John, saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who did what? Made, Made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Friends, in these last days, a call is going out to fear God and to give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And not only that, friends, we are called to worship the creator, the one who made heaven and earth and everything in it. And friends, in an age of evolution, this is a message that the whole world desperately needs to hear. Amen? Five verses later in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12 it describes God's last day people as being a commandment-keeping people. Not because they're trying to be saved, but because they love Jesus. Revelation 14, 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Now we saw in our first presentation here tonight that God wrote the Ten Commandments with what? His own finger, His own finger on tablets of stone, and he gave them to who? Moses, Moses on Mount Sinai. We saw that it's a law of love. The first four commandments show our love to who? God. God. And the last six show our love to our fellow man. We also saw last, uh, in our last presentation that the law existed before Mount Sinai. In fact, the Bible says that, um, that Adam and Eve sinned in Eden, which means that they broke God's holy law. Because the Bible says in 1 John 3, 4, that sin is transgression of the law, the Bible says. Another example is Joseph in Egypt. We just looked at that. We're just reviewing here briefly. And uh, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? We also saw in Genesis 26 verse 5 that Abraham kept God's law before it was ever written down on tables of stone. And in an age of secular, secularism and evolution, the commandments still speak to us today. And they call us to remember. They call us to honor and worship our creator God. But unfortunately, though, there is one commandment in particular that is often overlooked, it's forgotten, and even ignored. And it so happens to be the only commandment that begins with the word, remember. It's the fourth commandment, which says this. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do how much of your work? All your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Now notice the Bible says that the Sabbath day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. That's very significant, friends. Notice it doesn't say that it's the Sabbath of the Jews. You'll sometimes hear people say that the Sabbath is just for the Jews or that it's just a Jewish thing. But remember, friends, that the Sabbath actually came 2,000 years before there was ever a Jew that lived and walked on this earth. Did you catch that? Yes. That's very significant, friends. So the Sabbath wasn't given to just one race of people. It was given to all people 
for all time, which is, of course, true of all ten of the commandments. So why keep the Bible Sabbath? Well, verse 11 gives us the reason. Exodus 20, verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord did what? He made the heavens and the earth. That means he's the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. So there's a reminder right there in the commandment that God is our creator God. Therefore, it says the Lord did what? He blessed the Sabbath day and he hallowed it. So here we see that God said, remember the Sabbath day. And as you do, you will remember who God is and who you are in him. Notice that it also says that the Lord rested on the, sev- on the seventh day. It also says that he blessed and he hallowed it. In other words, friends, he made it holy. He made it a special day. So the question is, is so when did the Sabbath actually come into place? Well, it goes all the way back to Genesis, back to creation week. The Bible tells us that God created the world in six literal days. In Genesis chapter 1, each day of creation week ends by saying that there was evening and morning, the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. There were, 24 literal, there were literal 24-hour days. So on the first day of creation, God said, let there be lights, and there was lights. And each day for five days, God created the world and added beauty to it. He was preparing the world for what would take place on the sixth day. Because on the sixth day came God's masterpiece of creation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Friends, the word of God makes it clear that you and I were carefully designed and made by a God of love. We didn't evolve from monkeys. We were made in the very image of God. And after six days of creating, the Bible tells us this in Genesis 2.2. It says that on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And now God rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, but he paused to enjoy the world that he had just created. And by doing so, he gave the human family a memorial of of his creative power, an eternal sign of his power to create and also his power to recreate. Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 says this, Then God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because in it he rested from how much of his work? All his work which God created and made. Now notice that there are three things that God did on the seventh day. It says that he blessed the seventh day. God especially blessed it. And then second, he sanctified it. That is, he set it apart as a holy day, a special day. And why? Why did he do this? Well, it says because on it, he rested from all his work. Now, friends, there is only one day upon which God bestowed that kind of special attention. And and, uh, only one day of the week was blessed by God. Not only that, but he made it holy. He made it a special day. Now, friends, can I make something holy? No. Can you make something holy? Can any church council make something holy? No. Friends, only God can make something holy. Amen? 
The seventh-day Sabbath is an awesome sign of God's creative power, the power that he had when he made the world and the power that he has to make and remake us, friends, and to restore us into his image. God gave the human family the Sabbath as a reminder of who he is and what he's capable of doing. And it's on the Sabbath day that God wants to especially, he wants us to especially rest in him. He wants to bless us. He wants to sanctify us and make us more holy, holy like him. It's his special date with humanity each week where we can give him our undivided attention. Think about this, friends. Have you ever wondered why we have a seven-day week? We have a year with 365 and a quarter days because that's how long it takes for the earth to go around the sun, right? We have a month because it takes uh, about 30 days for, uh, for the moon to go around. And then we have a day that lasts 24 hours because that's how long it takes for the earth to rotate once on its axis. But why do we have a seven-day week? Well, friends, it's because in the beginning, God created in six days and he rested on the seventh. So every week, believers and atheists alike recognize the reality of creation by marking off another seven-day week. God spoke in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, and he said this, He said, moreover, I also gave them, what? My Sabbath to be a sign between them and me. That is his people and him. That they might know that I am the Lord who does what? Sanctifies them, makes them holy. So notice the Sabbath is a sign of loyalty between him and his people that they might know his sanctifying power in their lives. The Sabbath reminds us that God made us in the beginning, and that he's able to remake us in the here and now. Friends, when someone, when someone finds themselves caught in sin, evolution offers absolutely no way out, but God does. When King David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he repented of that in Psalm chapter 51, and he said, he, had, he prayed a beautiful prayer, and he prayed this in, in verse 10. He said, create in me a clean heart, Oh God, that is a pure heart. He wanted a pure heart. Friends, when you are broken, when you have stumbled and fallen, the creator God is able to pick you up and remake you. Amen? He's able to give you a clean heart and a fresh start. So friends, God gave us the Sabbath as a sign between him and his followers. So what about the New Testament? Is Sabbath keeping still encouraged in the New Testament? Well, what, what it is, friends. And what about Jesus? Did Jesus keep the Sabbath? Yes, he did. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 says, So he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on which day? The Sabbath day, and stood up to read. Now, friends, if there was any reason why people should not observe the Bible Sabbath, then don't you think that Jesus, the creator, would have told us about it? I believe he would have. But by his example, Jesus demonstrates that the seventh-day Sabbath is important to God. Jesus never questioned what day the Sabbath day was. He did, however, question the legalistic requirements that that the Jews had put on the day. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 12, he said, Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Friends, it's lawful to help someone on the Sabbath. For Christ, the Sabbath was a day for acts of mercy and acts of compassion. Friends, it was a wonderful day of worship and praise. It was a day of fellowship and it was a day of blessing. The Sabbath was not some legalistic, narrow-minded requirement. It was a day to bless others. So the question arises, well, what day is the biblical Sabbath day? Well, thankfully, friends, friends, there is no need for us to guess or speculate because the Bible makes it very, very clear. In Luke chapter 23, verse 52, it says, This man, that is Joseph of Arimathea, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down off the cross, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was what? The preparation and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to what? The commandments. Okay? Notice the very next verse, Luke 24, verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. So here we see the progression of days, right? Jesus, we see that Jesus died on Friday, and the Bible calls that the preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. And then he rested on the tomb on Saturday or the Bible Sabbath. And his disciples also rested on the Sabbath day according to what? The commandments. The commandments. And then Christ rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. So we see a very logical progression here in the sequence of events. So to this, many Christians have said, well, we worship on Sunday in honor of the resurrection. Well, interestingly, friends, there are eight texts in the New Testament that mention the first day of the week, and not one of them tells us to worship on Sunday in honor of the resurrection. But Christ has given us a symbol of of the resurrection, friends, and that is baptism, Bible baptism. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So just as Jesus died and was buried and resurrected, we remember and honor the resurrection by being baptized and by committing our lives to Christ 100%. We come up from the watery graves of baptism in new life. Baptism is the New Testament symbol of the resurrection. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Friends, we honor Christ as creator by keeping the Bible Sabbath. If you were to look at a dictionary, it would tell you that Sunday is obviously the first day of the week, and that Sabbath or Saturday is the seventh day of the week. It's very clear. There's no doubt about that. Go home and, and Google it. Ask Siri or whatever you do to define words. And interestingly enough, if you look at the different languages of the world, in many of them, the word for Saturday is simply Sabbath. In Spanish, it's sabado. That's probably the 
one that I can pronounce best, but in Russian it's sabota, in Italian it's sabato, and the list goes on and on. So then some have the question, well, is it possible that maybe somehow time has been lost down throughout the centuries? And that maybe uh, the first, our first day is somehow different than the first day uh, back in the time of Jesus? Well, friends, astronomers are in agreement that there is absolutely no evidence that we've ever lost track of time. The day that we call the seventh day is still the same seventh day that Jesus had when he was here on this earth. And the only way around this would be if, is if the entire planet went to bed, let's say, on Tuesday and overslept for 24 hours and then they got up on Thursday and thought Thursday was Wednesday. But that's simply not possible, is it? <laughs> it's definitely not possible for everyone in the world to oversleep by 24 hours. Calendars have historically shown us that Saturday is the seventh day of the week. And if there was any doubt as to which day was uh, the Sabbath, the simple thing would be to see what the Jews are doing today. Because, and clearly they're still worshiping on, this, on Saturday, the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath, according to the fourth commandment, is on which day? Saturday. It's on Saturday. Just wanting to make sure that you're following here. The first Sabbath was kept approximately 6,000 years ago when God rested from his work of creation. And approximately 2,000 years ago, Jesus rested in the tomb following his work of redemption. Thus, the Sabbath is, is not only a memorial of creation, but it's a memorial of redemption, of what Christ has done for us by redeeming us. So the question is, is, well, so what's in it for us? Well, friends, the Sabbath is much more than a law. The Sabbath was meant to be a blessing for all humanity, something for our good. The Sabbath was given by God so that we could rest, so that we could recharge, and so that we could reconnect with God and with others. We are, it was designed to be a blessing, and the Sabbath makes all of that possible, friends. It's a blessing that God never said, I'm taking the Sabbath away. Imagine God giving the Jews a day of rest each week and then telling all the rest of us Gentiles, sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to give you a day off each week. That just wouldn't make any sense, would it? So how important is this to God? It's a good question, isn't it? How important is it to God? Well, for one thing, friends, God did not give us the 10 suggestions. He gave us the 10 commandments. So these are commands from God, not suggestions. Secondly, it was important enough for God that he wrote the Ten Commandments down with what? His own finger, the very finger of God. Let me share a little story that will hopefully help illustrate the importance of this. Imagine that before I married my dear wife, Kristen, that uh, I went to her mom and dad and they had seven daughters. And imagine one day I came to her father, Dennis, and I said, Dennis, I want to marry one of your daughters. And he said, which one? And I said, the seventh. Kristen, I want to marry Kristen. She's the seventh. And since he thought that I would make a good son-in-law, he said, sure, I'll get her to church on time, no problem. <laughs> Fast forward now to the wedding day. And the bride is making her way down the aisle. She looks beautiful. Her veil is down. And she's holding her father's arm. And the church is full of people. It's packed. And she gets to the front and her father lifts up the veil and it's daughter number one. What do you think I'm going to do, friends? Am I going to say, okay, well, I guess one bride's as good as another? 
No, absolutely not, friends. <laughs> In the same way, God did not say the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, or the sixth. He said the seventh. He said the seventh. If all days were the same to God, he would have said, pick a day, any day. But he didn't do that. He said, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. You see, friends, the Sabbath is a memorial. And memorials don't get changed. You can celebrate your wedding anniversary on the day before you got married or the day after, uh, but it doesn't change the day that you got married. You can celebrate Independence Day on the 3rd of July or on uh, the 5th of July, but you'd be out of step with the rest of history. And we certainly can't change a memorial that was given by God himself. Now, Jesus' example is very clear. But what about his followers? What about the, the disciples and the apostles? What happened after Jesus died? Well, Acts chapter 17, verse 2 says, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned, the, reasoned with them from the scriptures. So friends, these were three consecutive weekly Sabbaths, not ceremonial Sabbaths, which show us that long after Jesus died, Paul was still keeping the Bible Sabbath. So was this just because Paul was Jewish, that he had a Jewish background? No, it's not because of that, friends. Check it out here. Acts chapter 16, verse 13 says, And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. So now notice that this is taking place outside of the city, outside of the synagogue, showing us that Sabbath observance wasn't just for the Jews, but it was for all believers. Another instance is found in Acts chapter 13, verse 42, where it says, So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles, notice, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them when? The next Sabbath. Not on Sunday, but the next Sabbath. Now notice who is doing the begging here. It is not the Jews, it is the Gentiles. And this is amazing. It says on verse 44, it says, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came out to hear the word of God. Friends, would it have been amazing to be there? To hear the whole city, to see the whole city come out to hear the word of God? I wish that that would be the case here in Alaska. Amen? And Chehalis and Centralia and Seattle and Portland, it would be amazing if the whole city came out to hear the word of God. More than 50 times the Sabbath is mentioned in the New Testament, but never was there any mention of a change. And that's because there's no change. In fact, Jesus spoke specifically to the New Testament church about this. In Mark 2.27, Jesus said this. He said, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now, notice again, friends, it doesn't say that the Sabbath was meant for the Jews only. It was made for man, all of humanity, all of humanity. Now, there are some who want to say that Sunday is the Lord's Day in honor of the resurrection. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that Sunday is the Lord's Day. Notice also that the text says the Son of Man is Lord of which day? The Sabbath, the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath is the Lord's special day. And since Jesus created the world, the Sabbath is a memorial of his special work of creation. So when John was on the island of Patmos, 
uh, and and said in Revelation 1.10 that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was referring to which day? The Sabbath day. An additional text describing what day is the Lord's holy day is found in Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14. It says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on what? My holy day. So the Sabbath is God's holy day. And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Friends, God wants us to enjoy the blessings of the Sabbath. He wants us to delight in it and in him. Jesus also mentioned that people would be keeping the Sabbath after his death. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 19 and 20, he talked about the destruction of Jerusalem. And we talked about that last weekend extensively, uh, which happened about 30, 35, 36 years after Jesus' death. And Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 19 and 20. He said, But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on which day? The Sabbath. So looking into the future, Jesus was saying the Sabbath will still be important. It will still be kept by my followers even this many years later. Clearly, Sabbath keeping didn't end when Jesus died on the cross. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, something did end, friends. And that was the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the ceremonies and the types and the shadows came to an end, which is why there are no more feast days, no more animal sacrifices for believers in Christ. All, all of that had their fulfillment in Christ uh, when he died on the cross for us. But when Jesus died on the cross, did thou shalt not kill suddenly disappear? No, it did not. Did honor your father and mother go out the window? No, it did not. What about remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? No, friends, that remained as well. The ceremonial law was no longer kept, but the moral law of God remained. Now the question begs to be asked, well, when does the Sabbath begin and end? Well, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 32 tells us that from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. And Mark 1.32 shows us that the sick were brought to Jesus at evening when the sun had set on Sabbath. So the Bible makes it clear that the Sabbath begins and ends at sunset. So when the sun goes down on Friday evening, the Sabbath begins. And then on Saturday evening, when the sun sets, the Sabbath ends. In the summer, it's a little later, and in the winter, it's a lot earlier, isn't it? So wherever you are in the world, whenever the sun sets on Friday, that's when the Sabbath begins, and 24 hours later, the Sabbath ends. Now, the way that days are calculated in the Bible are from evening until morning. This is seen in the creation account of Genesis chapter 1 and with the passages that we've just seen in Leviticus and Mark. You see there evening and morning, the first day, second day, third day, etc. So although a new day starts at midnight for us today, biblically speaking, the new day begins when the sun sets. Thus, the Sabbath begins Friday at sunset. 
and ends at sunset on Saturday. So we've seen that the very first Sabbath was in the Garden of Eden. On it, God rested. He blessed the day. He sanctified it. He set it apart and made it a holy day. And Adam and Eve kept the Bible Sabbath. Abraham also kept the Sabbath, as well as Moses, Isaiah, and the other prophets. Jesus and his disciples also kept the Sabbath. And the early Christian church kept the Sabbath. And friends, it should be no surprise to us that the Sabbath will also be kept up in heaven. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 66, 22, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I, sh- I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new, mo- one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. So friends, if we will be keeping the Sabbath in heaven by worshiping God together, then it's obviously important that we keep it here on this earth. Amen? By worshiping together with other believers. Remembering that he is our creator and remembering that he is our redeemer. God intended the Sabbath to be a release valve from the pressures of this life. He intended it to be a day that would safeguard the family. A day that would help us focus on the things of heaven. You know, it's, it's beautiful on the Sabbath day. I don't have to worry about how much money I have in my bank account. I don't have to worry about all the terrible things that are happening on this planet. I simply turn all those things off and I rest in Christ. Amen? Amen. I trust him that he's going to take care of me. I, I, I focus on him and want to spend quality time with him because that's what he intended the Sabbath to be, was quality time with Jesus. Amen. Yes, friends, Christians should worship and honor God on every day of the week. But there is one day where the whole day is completely given to the things of heaven. And friends, you certainly can't keep every day holy, can you? It's not possible. In fact, God never asked us to do that. In fact, it wouldn't be right because the commandment says, six days you shall do what? Labor. Labor. That means you should work. Six days you should labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do how much work? No work. So keeping everyday holy isn't even biblical, friends. But God does give us a day. He tells workaholics that they can take a break. Amen? He encourages families to regroup. The Sabbath is quality time with God, our Creator God. It's a time for worship. It's a time for family. It's quality time uninterrupted by work and uninterrupted by secular concerns. Those things can wait until the sun sets. It's time that is made holy by our creator God so that we can grow in his presence and so that we can grow in his love. Think about what this says about God. Think about this. If the government told us that we're going to make another holiday each year and give you all another day off, how many of you would complain? Not one, right? We would all be rejoicing and happy about that. But God does way better than that, friends. He says, I'm giving you a special day each week that you can take off and you don't have to feel bad about it. Amen? Amen. Amen. God wants us to have more of his presence. He doesn't want us to just survive in this world. He wants us to thrive in this world and be all that we can possibly be for Jesus. God God wants to be the focus of our lives like never before, friends. 
He wants to connect with you like you've never connected with him before. He wants to take you, uh, he, he wants you to take a break from your, the weekly constant go, go, go of your life. Yes, friends, God knows that you have business worries, that you have pressures and that you have concerns and that you have financial needs. He knows all about that. But he wants you to take a weekly time out and let the adrenaline stop flowing. Let the stress drain out of your life. Think about this. The human body operates on a 24-hour rhythm called the circadian rhythm. The scientist known as the father of chronobiology is Dr. Franz Hallberg from the University of Minnesota. And he says that humans operate, actually operate on a seven-day cycle. This is interesting. This circadian rhythm shows that many of our functions operate in seven-day cycles. Heart, heartbeats, blood pressure, body temperature, and a lot more are governed by our circadian rhythms, which goes to show that it only makes sense that we should observe a seventh-day Sabbath because we were wired that way, friends. We were wired. Now, I'm certainly not saying that the fourth commandment is, is more important than any of the other ten commandments. It isn't. But God wants you to know that the fourth commandment is no less important than all the others. When Ten Commandments become Nine Commandments, you're settling for only 90% of the blessings that God wants to give you, which doesn't make a lot of sense, friends. In fact, James wrote this in James chapter 2, verse 10. He said, Whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of how much? Of all. So friends, if you are breaking one commandment, you're guilty of breaking all of the commandments. And friends, that is not something that should be taken lightly. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Friends, keeping the commandments isn't legalism. It's love. It's our way of showing love to God and love to our neighbor. And you'll find that as you surrender to God, that Jesus lives his life in you. And you'll be keeping his commandments because the law is written in your hearts. And you'll love it. And you'll grow as a result of it. You will thrive. Your relationship with God will grow exponentially by taking this day off and spending it with Jesus. But some of you may be wondering, well, what does this mean for my great-grandma, who never heard about the seventh-day Sabbath? And she never kept the Sabbath. Well, friends, she may have lived as a wonderful Christian lady who loved and served God with all of her heart, but she knew nothing about the Sabbath. The Word of God says this in Acts 17.30. It says that at the times of ignorance, God overlooks. Meaning, if she didn't know, God is not going to hold her accountable for what she didn't know. But God shares this with you and with me today, friends, because He wants the very best for you. And He's determined that the whole world will, will hear this message and know about the Sabbath so that everyone will have an opportunity to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and enjoy the blessings that he offers. Friends, when God offers you something that will enhance and bless your life, you want to grab hold of that with both hands. The Christian who loves the Lord will want to do God's will in his life. This is practical, friends. This is common sense, and it's even good for your health to take a day off. It's, It's God's idea, and he wants you to thrive in preparation for eternity. If what we've discussed tonight 
is new to you, friends, I would encourage you to go to the Bible and read these texts that we've looked at here and, and search the scriptures diligently, friends, to understand it and, and pray to the Lord and say, Lord, show me your will. Show me the truth of your word and help me to understand it. And friends, he will. He will do that for you. If Jesus was willing to die for you, then you will want to live for him. Amen? We'll always be safe following Jesus' example, won't we? And we want to be followers of Jesus today. Sometimes we stumble across things without ever really having known their value. One day in 1975, a man was coming home from the Fiat plant in Turin, Italy. And on his way home, he stopped by a police auction where an auction was taking place. Lost or stolen property was being, uh, had been recovered, but was being auctioned off. Uh, from time to time, this man would stop and, and look at these auctions and see if there was anything that caught his eye that he wanted to buy and take home with him. And on this particular night, he saw two paintings for sale. He liked them, and he thought that they would look really good up above the wall there in his kitchen. And so he started to bid on them. But someone else also wanted those paintings. And so he had to pay a little bit more for them than what he had wanted. But he got the paintings, and he was glad. So when he got home, he, he hung up the paintings there in his kitchen wall. And every time he came home, he would look at those pictures, and he would smile because he just thought they were beautiful and that they, they made the kitchen look great. Years later, his son went off to college and took an art appreciation class. And as he was leafing through a book one day, he saw a picture of something that, something that looked remarkably like one of those paintings. Upon closer investigation, he discovered that one of those pictures was painted by a French painter named Pierre Bernard. He was a master painter. The other was a painting by Paul Gaudin. When the paintings were valued, it was found that they were worth $65 million. And because the paintings had been stolen, the original owners had been paid insurance money, and because there were no heirs of the original, uh, none of the heirs of the original owners were still living, there was no need to return the paintings to anyone. And so now our retired auto worker was now the proud owner of $65 million worth of paintings that had hung on his kitchen wall for the better part of 40 years. He never realized how valuable they were. And when he found out, you can be sure that he treated them with all the respect they deserved. And friends, maybe that's like some of us in the Seventh-day Sabbath. We didn't know what we had. We didn't know that it was valuable. Maybe we had no way of knowing. But God in his mercy speaks to us today and says, I have plans for you. I have plans for you in earth's last days. I want you to enjoy blessings that you didn't even know that you had. Amen. Tonight, friends, I'd like, to, I'd like you to consider the blessings that you've learned from the word of God tonight. And know that God has the best intentions for you. He wants for you better than you could ever want for yourself. And while we exist here in this old world, God wants us to have a closer walk with him than we've ever had before. Let's pray that God would have all of our hearts, all of us. He wants you to have blessings that you've never imagined. How many of you want to experience those blessings from God? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, 
Lord, we want to thank you so much, Lord, for this end time message, Lord, that you've given in your word. We see that in the book of Revelation, Lord, it calls us to worship the creator God, Lord, the one who made heaven and earth. And Lord, we see that you have given us the Sabbath as a wonderful day, Lord, that, we can, that, that you have set aside, Lord, a day that you have made holy where we can pause and we can stop the go, go, go of this life and we can focus on you. We can remember that you are our creator, God. Lord, we're living in a world that believes in evolution. Lord, they believe that we've evolved from monkeys, but Lord, we've seen clearly in your word tonight that we have been created. We were fearfully and wonderfully created. And Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of the Sabbath. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us. Lord, maybe this is new to some people here tonight and they're hearing about the Sabbath for the first time. Lord, I pray that you would help them to go home and study these things out, that they would see and understand it, Lord, from your word and that they wouldn't believe it just because I, I'm up here preaching about it, but Lord, that they would see it clearly from your word, Lord, that you would help answer any questions that they have. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, that the Sabbath is such a blessing, Lord. Help us to, to truly understand that. And Lord, we, we thank you that we're in the Sabbath hours right now. Lord, biblically, it's the Sabbath right now. And we thank you, Lord, that we can pause from the cares of this life and that we can focus on you for these 24 hours, Lord. We pray that on this day that we would grow closer to you, Lord, and that we would, um, that we would really understand your will for our lives, Lord. Bless each one of us. Keep us in your care, Lord. Bring us back safely tomorrow, Lord, is our prayer. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, amen. amen.